Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Well, grab your message notes, please. Sermon notes and uh, keep your Bibles open to John chapter 17. We're going to dig in. The best things said, the best things said often come last. I believe life's most significant conversations take place in doorways, at airports, at deathbeds, on college campuses when parents are leaving their students there, and they're preceded by this phrase, oh, oh, and by the way, wait, 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 before you go, hang on, hang on. There's just one more thing. There's something about these moments when time is short, words are undiluted, and you go right to the heart. Uh, I've experienced this, and I feel like um, what we're reading today, I've experienced this a little bit in a very small way, uh, dropping my daughters off at college. Um, The last phrase that I put in this picture here at the University of Georgia. I think it'll come up. There it is. Uh, I'm wearing sunglasses because I'm a complete wreck. Um, And this is my daughter, Elizabeth. And the last thing I told her was, you have, uh, was remember who you are. Uh, Every year uh, when she was in high school, she and I would have morning dates. Thursday morning, it wasn't heroic. It was just 20 minutes at Pete's. And we would just talk about whatever she wanted to talk about at 7.30 in the morning. And then I would drop her off two blocks at Sequoia High School. And the last thing I would do is grab her hand, look her in the eye and say, remember who you are. And so here we are at the University of Georgia. And I'm trying to capture 18 years of raising this one. And all the pride in the best way possible, all the unbelievable belief and gratitude I have for the memory she has filled me with, and the excitement I have for her future that God's put before her. And I just choked up and was crying. I couldn't get words out. And all I could say, the best thing said come last was, remember who you are, Buggo. Remember who you are. We're at a doorway today in John 17. Jesus has just finished his Passover meal with his followers. Judas has left the room. Jesus has equipped his men in what's known as the upper room discourse for everything they would need, everything we would need, when he would go back to heaven, back to the Father, to endure in his absence. His arrest is imminent, and he's at a doorway. Look at uh, John 18. Move forward. John 18, verse 1. Look at it. When he finished praying, Jesus, what? Left. So he's, he's almost, metaphorically, he is at a doorway. He's in a room. They're getting ready to walk out of the upper room, down the Kidron Valley to Gethsemane for his arrest. And the best thing said come last. The last thing Jesus says to his disciples, to his followers, is a prayer. He prays over them and invites them into this prayer. Isn't that beautiful? It shows us the power of prayer. And praying for them, we see the most vivid, most vividly, the priorities of Jesus for you and me. Because the reality, friends, that prayer that started at the doorway is continuing to this day. 
And look at the bottom of page one in Romans chapter eight, verse 34, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is what? Come on, it's open book test. Come on, come on. Is what? Yeah, he's still praying. What God does this? What God that demands our worship that is so holy, which the choir just sung about, which we opened with, is interceding for you and me, is serving us and praying for us. My question as I think about that is, what is Jesus praying for? As we worship, Jesus at the right hand of the Father is interceding for you and for me right now. What's he praying for? You ever thought about that? We see in John 17 what he prayed for. And let's look at the priorities of Jesus for the church. He prayed for it because these things aren't difficult, my friends. They're impossible. (laughs) And I believe, actually, they're the greatest threats to our mission currently and the future of our church. I don't say that because we're in danger. I say that I'm actually very excited about our church and where we are, but I really believe these two things in all of church history have been the greatest threats to the relevance and mission of the church. So let's dig in and let's find out what Jesus is praying for. And then my goal for us is not to try harder, it's to trust more, to surrender and to invite Jesus in his strength to do through us what he's asking the Father for, okay? So let's dig in. Here's the first thing he prays for, a unity that reflects the Trinity. Let's pick up the prayer in verse 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. This is distinctive to followers of Jesus. They are yours. That is an identity. When I tell my daughters, remember who you are, this is what I'm talking about. You are not my daughter. You are God's daughter. All I have is yours, Father, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. That's what we've been doing this morning, glorifying the Father through worship. That's what you do, not just for an hour. That's our identity 24-7. Can I get an amen? Yeah, the way we treat each other, the way we treat strangers, the priorities of our lives. It brings glory. It's It's a mirror that reflects how good God is. I love that. That gives my life dignity. I'm going to remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, circle that in your Bibles, please. It's it's critical. Holy Father. Why is it critical? Because Jesus is banking on that name as the answer to his prayer. It's the source of our hope for unity. Look what he says after that. Protect them, not by our power, but by the power of your name. Protect tells me that whatever he's praying for is going to be opposed. There is a spiritual element that will oppose what Jesus is praying for. I see that in my own life. I see that in the life of our church. What is the power of your name? What does that mean? To the Hebrew, to Jesus, your name was your destiny. Your name was your character. Your name was your identity. Jesus is asking, Holy Father, infinite intimacy, independent intimacy, holiness. You have no needs. You are completely other. You could do all things. Father, intimate one. One who doesn't love random, but loves with a unique relational love. That's who he's calling on. Do you understand that? That's why we worship this holy God, but we get to call him 
Father. That's crazy. Protect them by the power of your name. Then he says, the name you gave me. What does the name Jesus mean? Yeshua, God saves. God saves. So if you think you can't live into this, I got good news for everybody. Ready for good news? God saves. God can rescue you and me from our spirit of disunity. God can rescue us from our mindset that says they are lesser than or that my rights matter or my preferences matter. Jesus is not calling on you as great as you are, and you are great. I love you. God's calling on the character of God the Father. Jesus is calling on the character of God the Father and his own character saying, answer this prayer. And what's the prayer? So that they may be one. Circle that word, one. Now, I read that, and I go, okay, wait, wait, hang on, Jesus. Can we clarify for a minute? How one do you want us to be? I mean, what do you mean by one? I mean, quite frankly, I'm all for this one thing as long as I get to choose the ones you want me to be one with. Don't laugh at me. You do that too. As long as their preferences match with mine, as long as there's not a lot of conflict, as long as they don't make me uncomfortable, I'm fine being one with them. But don't ask me to be one with someone I don't like or one with someone where our preferences don't match up. You're not asking for that, are you? And Jesus says, oh, wait, I'm not done praying. Let's just keep going in. May they be one. Here it is. As what? We are one. Oh, that kind of one. The Trinity kind of one. Three separate entities, completely unified type of one. Oh, wait a second. You're asking me to surrender my preferences to a higher priority for a greater good. You mean that kind of one. And Jesus is saying, I know it's not easy, but there's a reason I'm praying for this kind of supernatural unity where you surrender your preferences. I surrender my preferences to the priority of the gospel. Jesus, in that word one, is grabbing a key phrase from the most often quoted scripture in the world. It was the most often quoted scripture in his day. It still is in our day. And I put it in your past, in your notes, on the top of page one, Deuteronomy 6.4. It's called the Shemach every morning, every Hebrew child to, uh, in Jesus' day, and every Jewish boy or girl today has this verse spoken over them in the morning and at night. Mary would have spoken this word over Jesus every morning and every night. It'd be the first verse he memorized. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. Multiples coming together as one. That's what the word means. Think of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Never in competition. Fully surrendered to each other. Never clamoring for greater glory. Knowing their role and gladly serving in it. Or think of this. Think of uh, grapes, a cluster of grapes. Individual grapes, one cluster. Together, tethered, fed, nurtured by one vine. That's what Jesus is praying for. Complete unity, shared vision, no division, no rivalry, no entitlement. 
It's hard, isn't it? It's never been harder than the last five years, in my opinion. For any church, ours isn't alone. When you think of all that's out there to divide us as a body, especially a body like ours, six, five, five generations, four gatherings. Think, if we focus and prioritize our preferences, it will be the undoing of this church and the undoing, more importantly, of our witness to our community. I just wrote down some preferences. In our church, I am so proud. We have Republicans and Democrats side by side. Worshiping together. We have Cal alums and Stanford alums <laughs> side by side. We have Giants fans and even a few Dodger fans side by side. We have hymn driven, and I'll leave this gathering and go to a guitar drum driven service. We have ethnic differences, male and female, octogenarians and 12 year olds in the same service worshiping side by side, people following Jesus and people who took a risk to join us today, wondering, who is Jesus? Am I safe here? Side by side. Jesus knew this, and he knew what was on the line when it comes to unity. This is why he prayed for unity, that we'd surrender all of that to the lordship and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 20, and let's see what's on the line here. We're going to see this in both of his prayers. Verse 20, are you there? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them, here comes again, may be one, Father. And again, just in case you didn't get it, church, let me define what one looks like, just as you are in me and I am in you, Trinity. May they also be in us. That is mind-blowing, my friends. Jesus is inviting us into this relational dynamic of the Trinity. Think about that. He's not saying, you stay far away. Let the Father, Son, Holy Spirit us have our thing. He's inviting us right into the core of it. That is unbelievable. Can I get a praise God for that? Now, look at this. Here's what's on the line. We're going to see this time and time again. He's not just praying for us, for our sake. Friends, while we're on earth, there's a greater cause at hand so that, now we're getting to purpose, the world may believe, what? That you sent me. According to Jesus, our most effective apologetic, and apologetic just means a defense of the faith. It's not an apology. It's a defense of the faith. Our most effective apologetic, are you ready? Is our unity. It's the outside world looking in saying, how do they do it? With all that diversity that really matters, that's not lost on them but it's surrendered for a greater good. And together it comes together like a mosaic that shows a tapestry of the kingdom of God that the world can't match. Listen, they can outdo us in technology. And I'm not saying they as if we're against the world. If you're a guest here, and even if you're not, if you're a regular here, we love what Jesus loves. God loves the world. We love the world too. We're not against the world. We're not against culture. We want to engage culture and transform culture. But culture has it on us when it comes to technology. Uh, they have it on us when it comes to so many other things, but what they can't match 
is a spirit-empowered, Christ-centered unity of generations and different ideologies and different genders coming together, proclaiming what we did when we opened this service. You are holy, God. And I may not, we may vote against each other, but we love Jesus together. If I were the enemy, and I knew this was the greatest apologetic, I would just accuse you and deceive you and me, and I'd get in our minds and I'd say, no, 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 you raise the level of your preferences and you lower the priority of the gospel because you matter that much. All breaking unity. I ask this very humbly, but I'm going to ask it nonetheless. Do you value unity to the degree that Jesus does? This has not been a new threat, by the way. Look on page two. First letter written ever to the early church, book called Galatians, chapter three, verse 28. They were wrestling with this. The early church, right from the start, was wrestling with this unity thing. And Paul had to write and say, wait a second, you gotta know, I'm gonna dismantle your ethnicity right now. Not that it doesn't matter, but the gospel matters more. You're neither Jew nor Gentile. I'm going to dismantle your class distinctives as you come together. You're neither slave nor free. I'm going to dismantle your gender distinctives. You're neither female nor male. We are all, what's the word? One. Multiples coming together as one. So beautiful. When Jesus prayed for you, and I believe at Romans 8.38, right, 4, Romans 8.34, at the right hand of the Father right now, Jesus, as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is ministering, and Jesus is speaking to the Father right now, saying, please, Father, convict their hearts. Please, Father, please, Father, let them lower their preferences and raise the priority of the gospel. But he didn't stop there. He prayed for one other thing. And if we're not convicted yet, here we go. A holiness that reflects the character of God. A holiness that reflects the character of God. Now, I want everyone to, uh, I want to disarm you. I want to invite you to lean in for the next 15 minutes or 12 minutes. And let's dig into this holiness thing. How would you define holiness? Just, just sit in that for a minute. Or I'll ask it this way. How would you define you as a holy person. Think about that. That picture you have of you being holy. What would it look like? Last week's sermon was so important in this regard. The Holy Spirit filling you to be holy. Not what would it look like right now. What would that look like tomorrow at 9.30 in the morning? where you live and work and recreate. I have a concern in my own life, and I'm studying this, and maybe you can relate, but I'm just talking about me. Um, I've just had a little too cavalier of an attitude when it comes to holiness. Studying this week, I realized I have not prioritized that value the way Jesus does. Verse 14, he says, I've given them your word. What's he given us? I'll say it again. It's not open book test. I've given them your word, your word. And the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
Remember who you are? That's an identity statement. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but protect them. There he says again, what I'm about to pray for is going to need protection because it will be opposed. All of hell will oppose what I'm about to pray for. And it's no wonder that right now or in a few minutes, I bet you're going to go into some internal dialogue pushing back saying, that's not me. I don't, I don't need to be that holy because this is opposed. So Jesus is praying for protection again. Protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Okay, here we go. That's our identity. Verse 17, the prayer. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I'm going to give you that definition, and I want you to write it in your notes or write it somewhere. This is so important. To set apart and be dedicated for God's purpose. Sanctify. To be set apart and dedicated for God's purpose. That's what Jesus is praying for. And later he'll pray, to the same degree he was sanctified, may we be sanctified. Do you have any wrestle in your mind of how set apart Jesus was for God's purpose when he walked the earth? Come on, have we not gathered enough and you know enough to know that everything he did was for the glory of God? And his prayer is that as followers of his, we would have that same passion and priority. I ask this humbly, do you? I'm not reading any of your mail. None of your spouses have written me. None of your neighbors have written me. But I'm just asking, do you have that same set-apartness mindset? See, in my mind, I go, oh, yeah, of course Jesus was set apart. (laughs) That's why he came to earth, to glorify the Father, to open up the kingdom of God for us. And Jesus is saying, I'm praying for them that they have that same mindset. That no matter what you do Monday through Friday, and I'm so glad our, our series after Easter is called Made for Mondays. We want to we help you understand how you can live this out Monday through Friday. But no matter what you do Monday through Friday, you are a disciple of Jesus disguised as whatever occupation you're in or wherever you work or breathe or recreate. This is not a new concept. Throughout the Old Testament, God, who is holy, set apart apart ordinary things all the time. I put in page three a little text box of just some of the things that God set apart and called them holy. He's always been setting apart things for his glory. And what made the ordinary things holy was their relationship and proximity to God. But we have it better, my friends. God is indwelling us through his Holy Spirit so that we can be holy. Uh, I used to be on staff with an organization called Athletes in Action. And uh, I was at UCLA. I was a chaplain in the sports uh, in the athletic department. And in 1988, when I was there, the Seoul Olympics were coming around. And UCLA had so many athletes going to the Seoul Olympics that if they would have been a country, they would have come in sixth in the medal count in the Olympics. Uh, But there was one athlete in particular that I I took notice of. Her name was uh, Florence Griffith Joyner. Do you know that name? Yeah. She's still the fastest woman in the world. She still holds the world record in the 100 and 200. What blew me away was her workout regimen and how dedicated she was. How, are you ready for this? Olympic she was in her lifestyle. It didn't mean 24-7 she only trained for the Olympics. She was mortal, and she couldn't do that. She did other things. She hung out with friends. She went to movies. But being set apart for the Olympics meant 
that Olympic wasn't the only thing she did, but it was the, ready for this? It was the priority with which she measured everything she did. She was set apart and dedicated for Olympic gold. Where she lived determined, was determined by the Olympics next to UCLA. What she ate was determined by Olympic gold. Her entire schedule, work, sleep, her marriage was determined by Olympic gold. She was set apart for Olympic gold. That's the concept that Paul, I'm sorry, that, that Jesus is getting across. I know, he says, Father, I've been set apart, but my prayer, and he's praying for this because it doesn't come naturally. My prayer is that they would have the mindset that to the same degree I've been set apart, they would be set apart. And this is going to be opposed, so protect them. Look at the next verse I have in your notes, uh, 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. Peter, Jesus' uh, closest disciple, one of them, said, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy, what? Every once in a while. So be, oh, I'm sorry. So be holy from 8.55 to 10 on Sunday morning. No. In all, say that, church, all you do. Be set apart, be dedicated for God's purposes in everything you do. In everything you do. Where are you convicted right now about an aspect of all that isn't holy? Where is there an aspect of your all that isn't holy. Could be a mindset. Could be a time of day. Could be what you watch. Could be an area of money management, debt consumption, materialism, greed, prejudice, racism, your sexuality. What part of your all does the Holy Spirit not have part of? So how do we do this, Jesus? How do we grow in this? Look at verse 17 of John 17. He, he gives us the answer here. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the protection of God the Father. The whole Trinity is involved in this. We have Jesus interceding for us. And then Jesus says, you have something even more. Sanctify them by the truth. Verse 17, what does he say? Your is truth. No wonder no wonder it's so hard to get into this book. No wonder most mornings for me, including this morning, when the alarm went off, there's pushback on my part saying, okay, maybe I can do this today without this. No wonder we're too busy. No wonder we throw up so many excuses. So complicated, such a big book. I don't have time. I don't understand. I don't want to get in a Bible study. No wonder Jesus had to pray, protect them. To the degree, I'm going to say something pretty bold, but I believe with all my heart, I would not be called, I couldn't face God as your pastor if I didn't say this. To the degree that you get into this book will be the degree that you get holy. 
Now, again, think uh, Florence Griffith Joyner. I am not saying, and maybe for some of us, we can spend 24-7 in this book. I am just saying, can we raise the value of holiness? We're dedicated for him. And can we use this as our fuel to get there? How much fuel do you need? There's only two sources, really. The flesh, the spirit. This is what fuels the spirit. Jesus is saying our holiness is not an aspect of our life. It is our life. It is our identity. Remember who you are. Let's wrap this up. Verse 18. As you sent me, now he goes back to our core identity, sent ones. Uh, The Latin word there is missio. It's where we get the word on mission. As you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Do you feel that? Do you understand that identity? No matter what you do, whatever you do Monday through Friday, you do it as a sent one of Jesus. I'm sending them. And for them, I am going to sanctify, there's that word again, myself, that they may truly be sanctified. Jesus' prayer here shows that unity, holiness is not the goal of his life. It's what drove his life. Do we understand the ramifications for us? It means if we have, uh, by the way, the best thing said come last. This is the last thing I'm going to say. If we are, uh, if we want to have anything to do with Jesus, we have to be willing to make, allow him to make us holy. Open the door. Say, Jesus, this is a mess. This area is a mess. This mindset's a mess. This area fights against unity. My preferences are more important than your priority. I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, that's okay. I'll do it for you. I've just showed you we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God at work in these areas. Would you open the door? We have to allow him to change our priorities here. Jesus is still praying for us. He believes in us. And like a dad before a daughter at the University of Georgia with tears, I believe Jesus is saying to us, you have what it takes. Remember who you are. Father, so overwhelmed right now by the fact that um, forget about everyone else and I'm not trying to parade my faith but who am I to speak this message when I fall so short I've participated in the disunity of this body and I've participated in the lack of holiness but I thank you for prayer uh, for days like these with communion and with grace and with the body where we can just come to our senses and come under your conviction. We could say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for making this about me when there's a hurting world that's headed to a godless eternity that's broken in every way. And I want to raise my preferences over the priority of the gospel. I'm so sorry. Forgive me, Lord, for for cavalierly treating your word and your character. You, You are holy, holy, holy. 
forgive me for singing that and raising my arms, believing it on Sunday, but living like it doesn't matter on Monday. We're desperate. Thank you that you're praying for us right now, that you asked the Father to protect us, that you've given us your name and a new identity. I'm trusting in that to change my life. And my friends here, Lord, people I love, sisters and brothers in Christ, change their life too. Could we enter into a new degree of unity and a new degree of holiness, the likes of which we've never seen in our 70-year history, not for our glory, but for yours and for the sake of this city you've given us to reach. Pray this in your name. And everyone said, Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.